Hey, we only got two more weeks of the Exodus series. Isn't that crazy? It, feel like, it feels to me like it's going by super fast. Um, so got one tonight. Jordan McWhorter will be rounding us out um, next week. So. But uh, hey, uh, what are the three things, again, we've been focusing on more than anything else as we've walked through the Exodus series? We've had, one, we take a look at the character of God as we walk through Exodus. Um, two, we understand what a God-shaped mission looks like. Understanding his mission should help us understand the scope of our mission. What was the last one? Yeah, points us to the gospel. And tonight, we're gonna, we've been doing, we focused on all three of those in the past four weeks so far. But tonight, more than anything else, that last concept we just talked about, we're really gonna hone in on. And it's gonna be pretty elementary for most of us. And we're gonna hear again the simple yet profound message of the gospel. But I pray tonight that it would be super fresh to us, that we would see it and hear it with new eyes and ears. So let's pray to that end. Lord Jesus, we just, uh, again, we just thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for how it shapes and transforms lives. Lord, I thank you for the message. I thank you that you came to save us. And Lord, I pray that as we dig into that again tonight, that we would have open eyes and ears and hearts to see it um, just really fresh. Lord, I pray that exactly, that it would be refreshing to us. So I pray that we would be able to be focused on the text, focused in on what it is, Spirit, that you want to do in us and through us. And so I pray against those distractions that we may have right now. Lord, and I pray for a spirit of humility as we jump into your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, anyone remember the four gospel concepts we took a look at last week in chapter 6 in Exodus? Anyone remember the four? Someone help me out. Verses 6 through 8, a little reminder. God, so God redeems, right? What else? God adopts. Inherit. We're an heir. And the first one, he liberates us, Right? And so let's take a look at that again, though. In chapter 6 in Exodus, verses 6 through 8, let's look at these I will statements again that God is giving to Moses to speak to the Israelites, but also he is to speak these to Pharaoh, which is interesting. We see that later in the text in chapter 6. But these I will statements starting off in Exodus 6, verse 6, it says, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. Again, liberating us from slavery of sin. And I will redeem you, there's a second one, with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. I will adopt you. I will, I will be your God. Then you will know, take note of that, you will know that I am Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, again, this inheritance, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Last week, though, we didn't cover the, the fifth and final I will statement, the, gospel, uh, the fifth gospel reminder or gospel co concept that we see in the same breath. And so let's jump to chapter 7 and see what this I will statement is that ties into the gospel so well. So in chapter 7, starting verse 1, going to 6, We'll see the fifth here. It says, 
Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I've made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, which Chris spoke so well about two weeks ago. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians, take note again of this, will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt, again with judgment, and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. So here we see the fifth and final I will statements, the fifth and final gospel concept that is said in the same breath. And it's this message of judgment. And I think it's important as a church that we pause here and reflect again and understand the importance of judgment. I think removing judgment from the message and from the gospel and from when we preach up front and we study the word, it's like, it's like declawing a cat. It's nice to have that cat without the claws, but you're missing something big. It's not whole. It's not complete. And I want to take a look at Genesis 3 here, where we see the first judgment take place. And so we understand that Adam and Eve have sinned, right? And that curse has now fallen upon man and all of creation. We see that in Genesis 3. And then it comes to check this out in, in verse 20 in chapter 3. Or sorry, verse 21. It says, the Lord then, God get, then the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And here we actually see the first sacrifice that took place. He had to clothe them with animal skin. A sacrifice, something had to die in place of their sin so that they could be clothed. So we see this taking place. Verse 22, and the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us. Knowing good and evil, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, again, out of the Garden of Eden, and placed on the east, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. See, back then, the Garden of Eden represented a handful of things. The Garden of Eden represented this place that was perfect, that was holy. It was without sin. God made it, and it was good. It, it also represented this, this uninterrupted ability for Adam and Eve to commune with God, to have fellowship with God. And when they chose sin, this curse came, and he banished them from the Garden of Eden. And in so, in doing so, God's communicating to Adam and Eve and to us that my holiness, my perfection cannot be in the presence of sin. That there is now an interrupted fellowship you have with me. This is, this is what we see him communicating in Genesis 3 when the curse of sin came. And this is the first point I want us to understand and for us to know about why we should not ignore the judgment of God. And that first one is to help us understand his character of holy and perfect. His holiness and perfection, who he is, cannot be in the presence of sin. And it's important that we understand that. 
And because of the sin that we have chosen, we now have an interrupted relationship with him. We cannot be in fellowship with him. The second reason I want to highlight, it shows us our need for him. See, on one side of the coin, there is God's judgment. But on the other side, there is his mercy. And Kimball spoke so eloquently of this during the Day of the Judgment um, series that he went through. That so often in scripture, it's a common theme that we see. Judgment and mercy come hand in hand. They collide so often. We see it here in Exodus. We see it with uh, Noah. We see it all the way up to obviously Jesus Christ in the cross, right? By God showing us our sin and the judgment on it, it shows us our need for him. Let us not think once that God's judgments are when things go wrong, but it's when he starts to put things right. Again, he is a God of justice, and he wants to make wrong things right. And so when judgment comes, it's not because there's just wrong that has happened, but he's trying to put things in its right place. And so we have to understand that with judgment. It shows us our need for him. And in light of that, the third one, it's a significant part of the message of the gospel. Only the judge, the judge being God, that casts down the verdict of guilty can switch it to innocent. And it's done through Jesus Christ by taking the judgment we deserve when he took all sin to death on the cross and defeated it with his resurrection. And so it's such an important part, a significant part, the message of the gospel. So we do not want to dismiss this part of the gospel. It's critical. And so now we understand, we got chapter 6, we got these I will statements that speaks to the gospel where we are, again, we are liberated, we are redeemed, we are adopted, and we are his heirs. We see this part of his mercy, but we see in chapter 7, the fifth gospel concept, that he is a judge. And judgment is coming to us because we have sinned. And that sin can now be in his holiness and his perfection in his presence. And so we see this taking place. And so, if, again, if I were to boil it down, these two concepts, to one simple statement, again, God's gospel glory is seen in his judgment and in his mercy. May we understand this. Notice that there are two ways to the Lord. Again, you will know him by experiencing his mercy and salvation, or you will know him by experiencing his wrath and judgment. And everyone eventually will acknowledge that he is God. We see that in Philippians 2, where it says, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow on, in heaven, on earth, and under earth. And every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. So it will happen. In the end, ultimately, is there judgment or mercy waiting for you? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that gift is salvation through God's grace and you putting faith in him as God's son. I want us to desperately know that in light of this, God is so patient. He's abounding in love. And he's waiting for you to receive this good gift of grace. And it's your choice through faith, confessing that Jesus is Lord. But know that our life is a mist. It can be here and gone. We're not even guaranteed tomorrow, let alone the rest of this day. And allow me, allow me to encourage you to trust him as your savior. Believe in the God who mercifully liberates sinners, who redeems sinners, 
who adopts sinners and inherits sinners and sees them as his heir. We all know Romans 3, 23 and 24, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. So put your faith in the risen Savior. Do not harden your hearts like Pharaoh. We see this in Exodus. He spells this out even more in Exodus. Let's check this out. The gospel even more with this powerful picture found in the plagues and specifically one one plague specifically, that being the Passover. So let's jump to chapters 11 and 12 in Exodus. So I wish we had time to take a look at all of the plagues that take place, the nine that lead up to this point, because it is really cool when you break it down, because in so many ways, God's kind of given this proverbial, like, middle finger, so to speak, to the gods of Egypt. That's what he does in a lot of ways. And it's, but we don't have, for the sake of time, we're not going to break this down. We're going to focus in on the Passover. Let's take a look at chapter 11, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people. And Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. I love that that's the case. Verse 4, so Moses said, this is what the Lord says, about midnight... I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill, and and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. And check out the dichotomy here in verse 6 and 7. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there ever has been before or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Again, this dichotomy is crazy. We see see peace, but we see pain. We see death, but we see life. The dichotomy is crazy there. Verse 8, all the officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Take note of this. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. We're going to come back to that. The Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh refused to listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt, which we talked about last week. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. So we jump into chapter 12. I want us to read all the way up to 14. We're going to go back, but I think it's important that we read it first to understand it all and then break it down as we jump back in. But this message is for the Israelites in this moment and for generations to come. So understand that as we jump into this. Verse 1, chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that... On the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share with one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account their number of people there are. 
You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you chose must be a year old, year old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat at lambs. So I just want to, I want to take note here. They are to do this at twilight, so when it, gets, when it starts to get dark. All the firstborns of Egypt, that's going to happen at midnight. And so this, what we read in the latter, um, or in the, yeah, so what we're reading now in chapter 12 happens first. What happens in chapter 11 happens afterwards, if that makes sense. Then we have, um, where do we leave all that? Verse 9. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over the fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some of it is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you, and when I strike... And when I, when I strike Egypt, this is the day you are to commemorate for the generations to come, which they do. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. So let's go back to verse 1, chapter 12. Let's break this down. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take in the lamb. So what the Lord is communicating here, that at the beginning of the year, he wants to remind them of this message of judgment and mercy. This is the first thing he wants the people of Israel to think about. That on the 10th day of the, the first month of the year, to remember this Passover that took place. Every single year you are to do this, and we see them do it. Does this not remind us of the message that we talked about, that God wants them to remember that he is the great I am, that he is to be central to their life, for from him, through him, and in him are all things. We talked about that three weeks ago. And we see 15,000 years later, Christ reminds them of this very same message at the Passover meal. He's saying, remember what I'm about to do, to be the ultimate Passover lamb. And so we see it happen here in the Exodus account, the first Passover. 1,500 years later, Jesus communicates the same message. And he's saying, remember me. Do this in remembrance of me. May we remember what it is that Jesus Christ has done for us. May we reflect on that often. Again, God is telling him, I want you to think about this at the beginning of every single year, that I am the great I am. I am the God of judgment and mercy. Remember what I did for you in Egypt. Jesus communicates the same thing to us in Luke 22. And here's what, we, here's what they did to remember. Let's take a look at this again. So they take this lamb on the 10th day, and they keep it in their house. So five days later, then, they take this lamb and sacrifice this lamb. But I want you to think about this. I just spent um, a day at, a, at a, a farm that has newborn lambs, the cutest things ever, right? It took my kids. They had a blast. So imagine back then, you imagine you're one of these Israelites that take one of these one-year-old lambs. They are the cutest things ever. You take them into your house. 
and you take care of them. You nurture them. It's not like you're neglecting them. You get to see the innocence of this lamb, how cute it is. It's a blameless lamb. It's perfect, right? I have chickens at my house, right? We do the whole backyard chicken thing. Uh, one of our chickens died because the egg literally got lodged in it, right? And everyone asked me, well, did you eat the chicken? Man, there's no way that I could eat that chicken. I got so attached to those chicks that when they first, they were so cute, right? There's no way that I could imagine. I can imagine the same feelings and emotions going through these people as they welcome this lamb into their house for five days. The kids being attached to it, love coming home at the end of the day to play with the lamb. Again, seeing the innocence, seeing that it's pure and it's blameless. How much does that point us to Jesus Christ? The perfect sacrifice, without blemish, without sin, hung on the cross for us. And imagine that moment when that father or that mother takes that lamb and grips it tight in its arms and slits the throat. And seeing the blood and the death. And I can imagine cries going out, mainly amongst the children throughout the Israelite people, and it being heard throughout. And there's this recognition that there is death because of sin. And understanding that judgment will come, for the wages of sin is death. And that is what God is wanting to communicate in this moment. So we see, we see this, this slaughter takes place. And, they, and then God asks him, hey, take some of that blood from the lamb and put it on, on, on the corners of your doors and on the sides and on the top. So that when the, when God, when the Spirit of God comes down, that judgment will pass over you. Then we see here that bitter herbs were, were to be served to them with this cooked meat. And that was a reminder of the bitterness that they experienced in Egypt. They were in bitter bondage to slavery, much like we are before we put our faith in Jesus Christ. That we are enslaved to sin. Too many, I believe, do not praise the God of grace with passion because they, we have a very, very low view of sin. I believe if we had a higher view of sin, our praise to God would be that much greater. And as the saying goes, till sin be bitter, Christ will never be sweet. May we understand the bitterness and gravity of sin. And, that and because of our faith in Jesus Christ, may that turn to great praise and thanksgiving and adoration. May we not have a low view of sin. May it too be bitter to us. May we have a hatred of sin. So we see them prepare this meal with bitter herbs. And we see that they are, while they eat this meal, they're also to tuck in their cloak, to have unleavened bread. And in this, there's a message that you need to be ready because when God says go, you need to go. And it's a, it's, a, it's a gospel message, a gospel reminder to us that the gospel needs to go out. And when God says go, you need to be ready to go. May we be ready for service like we see the parable in the gospel accounts. So imagine this first night taking place in Egypt. And that the, the 14th day has come. They've slaughtered the lamb. The blood is on the post. They've eaten these the, the meat with the bitter herbs. They've tucked in their cloak. They got the unleavened bread. Hours later pass, right? Midnight hits, and they hear screams and crying again for a whole other reason. Because the firstborn has died throughout Egypt. Kids from, from, day, from age day one to 21, 
All the animals, the firstborns, killed, weeping and wailing throughout the city. And as they go out to observe, as they open their doors to observe and to hear and to experience the, the, the tragedy, the wrath that has been taking place, they recognize the blood on the doorpost. And realize by, in faith, them putting blood on the post, they have been saved. That the Passover has come. The wrath of God, the judgment of God has passed over them. They recognize this. And in doing so, I believe, it turned to great praise. Now imagine you being one of the first Christians of the early church. 1,500 years later, after Christ's death and resurrection at that first Passover meal after all that took place. Imagine how powerful that moment would have been for them. The disciples of Christ, those that claim to be Christ followers, how powerful that message would have meant, that picture, that that imagery would have meant to them. I pray that the weight of that sits upon us in the same way as it did with the first disciples, the early church. Again, we see the gospel being communicated here again. And in summary, the wages of sin of death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Think about, compare and contrast this, the wages of sin, the wages. So there's a cost. So you got a cost. But the gift of God is eternal life. And that gift covers over that cost. It's a beautiful picture. Again, mercy and judgment seem to be intertwined and mingled so often in Scripture. It's a common theme. And the most important act of mercy and judgment happened when God, when God's son hung on the cross. God passed over us and looked to the one who took our place, that being Jesus Christ, the sinless one. He took our sin and was punished in our place. He was crucified instead of us. He took God's wrath on behalf of us. Everyone will be judged. Either Jesus took your judgment at the cross Or something far worse than the plagues is coming your way. As you face judgment. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, we rejoice because through Christ there is now no condemnation. And praise the Lord for that. Jesus took our curse. By his death and resurrection, we we who deserve death have nothing but mercy forever. I pray that we all put our faith in the Passover lamb. And I pray that those who have put their faith in the Passover lamb, I pray that we will be challenged by this final exhortation. I want to go back to chapter 11 and verse 8. So Moses, remember, Moses has delivered this message to Pharaoh that all the firstborn will die. And he's experienced the, all the, the nine other plagues that have led up to this point. But after this message, we don't see this any time before. And after he recognizes and understands the gravity and the message of this judgment that will take place, here in verse 8, it says this, Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. And that, I, I paused when I read that, and I tried to figure out why it is that he was hot with anger and he left. And there's a lot of different opinions out there. I truly believe that it is this. When we reflect on the character of Moses, remember who he was, who it is we saw him to be in chapter 2. Remember that he was a God, or <laughs> he was a guy that cared so much about justice taking place, 
Remember how we talked about that God is a God of justice and is fueled by compassion. And I believe that is one of the reasons he chose Moses to be this deliverer. Because he too cared about justice taking place, making wrong things right. And we see this in his character in chapter 2. Remember this? Remember when there was an Egyptian slave driver who was beating relentlessly the Israelite slave. And he was so riled up. He was so boiled over because of his heart for justice and compassion that actually led him to killing that Egyptian. His justice led him to that. His heart and desire to make things that are wrong right led him to that. Then we see these two um, Israelites fighting. And he goes up to him asking him, why? Why are you doing this? His judgment and compassion led him to that. We see him flee shortly after that. And immediately we see him be confronted with another injustice that has taken place where we see female shepherds being driven away and bullied by male shepherds. They're trying to draw water for their flock and they are driven away by these male shepherds. And he jumps in and intercedes and this is so significant. He doesn't know them. They're, they're women because, and that's significant because at that time, even more so than, than today, women were looked down upon. And it was also a belief amongst Egypt that shepherds were the lowliest of lows. That would have been something he was indoctrinated with. And he jumps in without knowing them, putting his life on the, on the line and intercedes on their behalf. Because he has a heart for justice and is fueled by compassion, I believe that. Much like the character of God. And on, on top of all of that, think of his story. During the time of his birth, much of those that would have been his friends growing up were thrown into the Nile and killed. The first the, the males that were born. But he was preserved and he was saved. And I, I just wonder if that played a part in this. But more than anything else, when I look at the character of Moses, he won, again, is one that is driven by justice and compassion. And I think in this moment, when he recognizes the, the full extent of what God is doing, what God is going to bring upon on Egypt, and that being judgment, he is so heartbroken by the judgment of God that is going to take place with those in his eyes that seem to be innocent. I believe that more than anything else. And he is hot with anger because of the judgment and death that is going to come upon the, the firstborn in Egypt. Are we too burdened by the judgment that is taking place? Are our hearts broken for the lost, for those that have not put their faith in Jesus Christ. See, I truly believe that Moses is ticked off. He is hot with anger because judgment is coming, the judgment of God. And judgment is waiting all of us. And praise the Lord for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ. But may we be hot with anger for those that have not put their faith in Jesus Christ. May that, may that compel us to go out to be workers in the harvest field in that way. Kimball, Christine, you can come on up. May we go forth with this message of deliverance. May we be ambassadors of Christ in this way. May we be overwhelmed by the judgment that has passed over us because of the gift of God's grace and us putting our faith in him. There is a promised land waiting for those who have been enslaved by sin and they need to hear the message of the gospel. May we again be hot with anger. 
May we recognize the judgment that is coming, that is going to take place to everyone. Allow me to, to share a strong statement um, from Paul to close out here. I love in Acts 20, 24. It says this, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me unless I finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Those of you who have received the mercy of God, may we run this race with perseverance. May we finish this task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Judgment is coming. There's a promised land waiting for everyone, for those that have put their faith in Jesus Christ. So may we testify to the gospel of God's grace. May people be aware of his mercy. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you that you are the Passover lamb. Lord, we thank you that it's as simple as us putting our faith in you. Lord, I, I pray that we will be people that remember that consistently. That we'll be overwhelmed by the mercy that we have received. Lord, and I pray that that would compel us to go out and share the message to those that are lost, to those that are hurting, to those who are like sheep without a shepherd. Lord, again, we thank you for the mercy that you've given us. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.